Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Addict, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Griffiths for that spirited introduction, and to you, dear listeners, for tuning in to Movie Addict Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, of course, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you, especially today, because noted film critic Susan Granger is here to discuss her book, 150 Timeless Movies, which is a marvelous collection of film reviews, and to Shin, a uh, radio commentator and in- entertainment critic and on, on the air t- uh, TV and radio. Her commentaries, reviews, and interviews are distributed around the world by SSG Syndicate. Susan is also the film critic for the monthly magazine Video Librarian. We're so excited to have her with us She's been here before, and we've been pestering her to return. So let's bring her on right now. Welcome back to Movie Attic Headquarters, Susan. And I guess <laughs> Susan got cut off. Let's 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 get her back on here. I'm Hi, here, Susan. and I'm I back. Think you... Yes, you are back. I'm so glad, and and we're we're just uh, so pleased that you could be here. I absolutely love your book. As I was talking to you uh, before the show, your list is just so impressive, and I've always admired your reviews, and uh, so we have 150 of them that we can read, and I just am am so pleased that, that you're here. And we are going to talk about your book, Susan, but I think we have to start out, because this is Movie Addict Headquarters, I think we have to start out by talking a little bit about that Academy Awards kerfuffle on Sunday. Are you up for that? I certainly am. I know the name of the culprit and how it happened. Oh, my gosh. Well, tell us all, please. Well, what happened was this. At the Academy, PricewaterhouseCoopers sends two people. They both have suitcases or briefcases with the envelopes, Excuse me, and they and they're on either side of the stage, the right and the left hand side of the stage. They uh-huh. have the envelopes, and there are duplicates of everything in case they needed, you know, a duplicate, or somebody gets mugged. I don't know. They always have had duplicates. <laughs> now the problem was that a man named Brian Cullinan—that's his name. He's a partner uh-huh. at Price Waterhouse Coopers. He's been with them for 32 years. He is starstruck, absolutely dazzled by stars. So that Emma Thompson, when Emma Stone was accepting her speech, he was tweeting. Rather than working, he was tweeting about Emma Stone and what she wore and how she looked. (laughs) When the next people were announced, which was Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, 
instead of handing them the correct envelope for the best picture, he handed them Emma Stone's envelope because she had come out from the opposite side of the stage. So she got the announcer got the envelope, let's say from the right, and he was standing on the left. Without looking, because he was so busy tweeting, he handed the wrong envelope to Warren Beatty. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he must be feeling pretty bad right now. He's 57. He's based in Los Angeles. He's, you know, an accounting executive that's been there for years. But he was just so set on doing his tweeting that he didn't, you know, he didn't look at what he was doing. Oh, and then Warren, poor Warren Beatty, he had uh, the <laughs> the card for uh, for Emma Stone, and he knew exactly. something was he, wrong. And he got absolutely confused because he knew he had the wrong card, so he had, he didn't know what to do. So he handed it to Faye Dunaway. Um, I mean, you know, uh, Clyde kind of did in Bonnie, and she looked at it. And she thought, well, maybe it just means El La Land, so that was what she announced. Now, right away, when everybody went on stage, the stagehands were going crazy because they realized that they had the wrong envelope. So they were trying to get the right envelope out. And the real star of the evening, frankly, were the producers of La La Land, who realized early on it was a mistake. They saw the envelope. They saw it said Moonlight, and they announced it. I saw that uh, uh, Horowitz, I think, was the, was the guy's name, yes, and he Horowitz. He, uh, you know, they're really. I mean, talk about being a gentleman and talk about being gracious. You want this more than anything else in the world, but you want to win it legitimately. Exactly, and he he was so gracious, and the the moonlight people were were uh, gracious back. I mean, it was it was that part of it. I think was beautiful, and I I agree with you about the star of the night or the hero of the night was. I mean, he really was. Per- and when you realize that by now they all know each other, they've been going through all of the Oscar breakfast lunches, publicity meetings. They do know each other, and they respect each other. So they. You want the award, but you want it legitimately. You don't want to sneak it from somebody else. No, what I thought that's, was that's very true. funny. I don't know if you were watch if you were on the Twitter feed afterwards, but right uh, after no, it I happened, wasn't. Well, can I read you some of the funny twitters that happened right afterwards? One of the funny tweets. Oh, please do. Yes. Okay. One of the first ones was from Miss Universe, who said. Have your people call our people. We know what to do. (laughs) You know, that was because of Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey Harvey tweeted, call me Warren Beatty. I can help you get through this. (laughs) Billy Crystal tweeted, amazing ending. Wish that had happened on Election Day. (laughs) And, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, who who does all of these mystery movies, Tweeted, I wrote the ending of the Academy Awards. We really got them. Well, I mean, we will never forget. We will never forget this. You know what the problem is? Millions of Academy members voted illegally. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Ronan Farrow followed that up, and this will be the last one, with So Sad How the Russians Hacked Warren Beatty. <laughs> well, at least people have a sense of you, sense of humor about you it. Have to, and poor, you Jim, have poor Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel accepted the responsibility. He was trying to, he was trying to be a, a good guy too. And well, you know, he the had, funny thing you... was, people thought it was a joke that Jimmy that, that that Kimmel had done, and he kept saying, "No, this is not a joke. I didn't do this." <laughs> I know. And he had his uh, he had quite an interesting show last night about uh, what happened. And uh, well, now that his, I uh, didn't see. But... Maybe on the show well, he explained why he was constantly going after Matt Damon. You know, they had planned a conclusion where Matt Damon got redeemed or something like that, but obviously that went out the window. Well, of course, and uh, uh, Jimmy Kimball was sitting out in the audience by uh, right by Matt Damon getting ready for what they had prepared. So he he didn't know what to do when when you know just had to walk up on stage. He was going to close the show from down in the audience. He said, and so exactly. it was quite a yeah. He was he was quite uh, amazed at everything, but he he felt uh, that he he definitely would be blamed. But now that we know the cul- the culprit, <laughs> well, I kind of feel sorry for the culprit. But I'm probably as starstruck as he is. If I'd been involved in something, I probably would have <laughs> done the same thing. But that well, you know, that's, we could uh, do another show and probably better with a psychologist or psychiatrist. I think. Tweeting is ruining so much. I mean, you saw all of this when they had the tourists come in. All they were doing was taking selfies and pictures and tweeting and not enjoying the moment. And I think too many people are so concerned about tweeting that they're not having a good time. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. It's it's, uh, interfering with people relating to each other. And in Not a human to way, the terrible traffic accidents and everything else that are going on. I know, I know. Well, we'll never forget that. And thank you so much for giving us the what really happened. And uh, I, I imagine that will never happen again. They'll work some some way out uh, so that oh, so I, that it I think won't. There will, I think the names will be done in very big print, and certainly they're not going to make that mistake again. No, no, they aren't. Well, were you? I mean, the name on the outside of the end for which award it is. Were you, su- were you surprised that La La Land uh, did not win? I thought it would because they had six Oscars up to that point. I thought that, that La La stunned. Land would win. I thought it should have won. I, I would have voted for it. Um, I, you know, But once again, in this very stressful time, and it is after the election. It's a very stressful time for a great many people in America. I mm-hmm. guess they just did not want to go for a light musical comedy. And Hollywood had made quite a statement with Moonlight. And Moonlight is an excellent movie. So mm-hmm. they wanted to go with that. I think that's the, I think that's true. And um, I I was. Uh, biased i have to admit being biased for la la land because i am the world's most avid movie musical fan so when the well, musical I'm comes along I'm and moonlight 
I did. I I have seen Moonlight, and um, I did, it, it's very uh, sad, I think. But it but it uh, it really had some wonderful performances, and uh, it, it, it and, wasn't and on my list. All the movies this year were very good. I loved uh, I loved Arrival. I thought the sci-fi time thriller was fascinating. I'm sorry Amy Adams wasn't nominated. But as you know, the critics have their own groups, and they make their nominations, and then Hollywood does what they want. Yes. I was disappointed that Annette Bening Bening didn't get nominated for 20th Century Women, too. I thought they they were kind of uh, snubbed, uh, both Amy Adams and... I, I thought that was terrific, and I loved Lion. So I think there are wonderful pictures, and I hope they're going to have legs and people will still go see them. Yes, yes. Well, um, I, I, I think the time is going by fast, and, and this was uh, so uh, interesting to me, all of the information that you have about what happened to, in that historic moment for the Oscars. But, but we really want to talk to you about 150 timeless movies, and good, why don't we start good. with... Yeah, why don't we start with uh, what motivated you to write this wonderful book? Well, you know, the idea came when Robert Osborne asked me to be a Critics' Choice guest on Turner Turner Classic Movies. And he suggested that I introduce movies produced by my father, who was Sylvan Simon was his name, and my stepfather, Armand Deutsch. Mm-hmm. So when I revisited these early Red Skelton and Abbott Costello pictures that my dad did, <sighs> Betty Lou, I was so upset. Back mm-hmm. when they were made, they were very funny. They were delightful. They were marvelous. But because of the passage of time and the advent of television, they really didn't hold up. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when I looked at movies that he had made, like From Here to Eternity and Born Yesterday and All the King's Men, they really did. Now, because of Netflix and DVDs and all of the other streaming sources, we all have access to movies that once played for several weeks in theaters and then disappeared. Uh, a friend yes. of mine told me, well, now I can have access to 10,000 movies, but what do I see? So yeah. my hope. This book is a guide to some, but not all, of course, that are worth viewing either for the first time or again. Yes, and it's going to be very, very helpful, uh, I think. And I, I'm so happy to say to see that you that you included two of my favorite movies in your in your list: Vertigo. These are my all-time favorites: Singing in the Rain and Vertigo. And uh, it depends on the mood I'm in, which one I put at the top of my list. But I was so so pleased to see those. And do you know? Do I know what? Hello? 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 Hi, Susan. Uh, both of us got cut off, so I'm really sorry. I I apologize. Okay, I, I, I was back. I did not do anything with the phone. It was just sitting here. 
the same here, same here. So it wasn't our fault, and uh, we can't okay, blame Price Waterhouse. <laughs> but I, but I was asking you about the uh, criteria you chose in, in uh, to include the films in uh, your book. Well, you know what, we all grew up pleading to our parents or whoever took care of us to tell me a story. Movies are visual stories, so the story, of course, comes first. Then you have to look at how well did the filmmakers accomplish what they set out to do. I may not like horror stories, but that's not the intent. Of, if, I mean, if that's the intent of the filmmaker, it's my job to see how well he or she did it. And so yeah. that was really what I went through. And then, of course, there's the writing, the directing, and the acting, all those Oscar categories, in fact. So that's how I picked them. Well, you certainly picked a picked a, a wonderful group of of movies, and uh, I, I do want to tell listeners that um, the reason I love your reviews is because you don't just tell the uh, the plot of the movie. There's always a little something extra or a lot of things extra in your reviews, and I was uh, reading uh, some of them again this morning and uh, ran across The Adventures of uh, Robin Hood, the one with Errol Flynn. And right. uh, I, did not, I did not know this. You know, I, I know a lot about movies, too, having been a, a movie addict since about six years of age. Well, of course. But, 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 I didn't, uh, but I didn't know that James Cagney was the first choice to play Robin Hood in that movie, and I didn't know it till I read it in your in your review, and that James Cagney uh, stomped off the set. And now I want to know more about that. But that was that's so interesting. And when you were talking about when you're in your review of Singing in the Rain, when you were uh, you, you kind of uh, got me really interested again about who actually dubbed who in that voice <laughs> in that movie. It's supposed to be Debbie Reynolds dubbing. Um, Lena Lamont, and that was uh, Gene Hagen. And, and can you t- take a minute and explain that to me? That's kind of a complicated situation. Which actress was was being dubbed in? Well, you know it is. As a matter of fact, I've got to go. I've got to look it up um, because it, it was very complicated, and a lot of people did dub different movies, but uh, different things. Now, pivotal to the plot that. Reynolds dubs Lena Lamont's voice, but actually her voice was dubbed by an uncredited woman named Betty Noyes, and Jean Hagen, using her normal voice, dubbed Debbie's lines for the scenes in which Debbie was supposed to be her. And, you know, there are many things like this um, that happen in the movies, and of course, Marnie, the late Marnie Nixon often gave her voice to movies, so for many, many years, you had no idea about the voices that you were going to hear on the screen. They're not really the actors' voices. It was really what recorded better at the time. Yes, yes, but that, but that uh, was so key to that movie. Uh, you know who was doing the dubbing, and I had, I hadn't, uh, I, I wasn't aware of that before. And these are well, Jean the kind Hagen of had a wonderful speaking voice. But she had to make it sound squawky for the role. Yeah, yeah, she did. If if we can bring a little joy into your humdrum lives, 
then we know that all our hard work ain't been in vain for nothing. <laughs> she really, exactly. She has deserved. She deserved a Oscar, a supporting Oscar nominated nomination for that performance. She was just terrific in that. And then for well, Vertigo, speaking, you, speaking you of, really uh, went into. Go ahead. I was just going to say, deserving supporting Oscar nominations. Viola Davis is a wonderful actress. And I don't believe yes. her anything, but she should have been in the best actress category, not in the best supporting actress category. You're so right. I thought of that. I because she was on screen practically the whole time during Fences, so she would have uh, she would have been. Uh, I think she would probably won if she was in the in the best best actress category. Absolutely, was her name was above. You know. The whole thing. In the play, her name was above the title, but the studio put her in the best supporting category because they knew she'd win. Oh, I see. That's how that how that happened. And she gave a wonderful acceptance speech. I mean, that's the most emotional speech I've ever heard at the Oscars. Well, she's a gracious, lovely woman. She shouldn't have been in that category. Uh, a supporting no. actor does one or two scenes that really are memorable, the kind of scene that Michelle Williams did in Manchester by the Sea. She only had a couple of scenes, a few lines, and she was memorable. Yes, she was. And um, they don't have to have a lot of time on screen to be supporting actors, because didn't Judy Dench win for uh, on, in Shakespeare in Love for only being on screen about eight, eight minutes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, that's you know, what you mean back, by... Back to your book, um, and you asked me why. I have to say, movies really reflect our society. In the beginning, mm-hmm. the Hollywood movie makers were dream merchants, reaffirming Horatio Alger's rags-to-riches legend. And the power of movies lies in their emotional force. So for me, a movie has to... Ha- you have to have an emotional catharsis. Years ago, Lillian Gish, an old-time actress, had a wonderful saying. She would say, in Hollywood, you buy an emotional... uh, Hollywood is an emotional Detroit. You buy a catharsis instead of a car. And I really... That is is integral to all the movies that I picked. You will have an emotional catharsis. Yes. I I see that in, in in the reviews that you... That you've included. Well, if you um, if you had to pick your top ten of the of the of the reviews for movies in your book, uh, what they what would they be? I couldn't do it. It's like asking <laughs> to choose your favorite children. Now I can tell you what my favorite movie of all time is. Okay. It's not one of the best movies in the world, but. I've always said to people when people ask about a favorite movie, your favorite movie, Betty Jo, or anybody listening to this, think about your favorite movie. Your favorite movie is something you saw at a very vulnerable time in your life. It hit Mm -hmm. an emotional chord in you, very special to you personally, which elevated it above the actual movie that it was and made it memorable for you. So my favorite movie is a movie that most people haven't seen. It's called State Fair. 
Oh, it was a movie musical made in the 1940s about an yeah. Iowa farm family going to a state fair. And I fell wildly in love with it because I was raised in Hollywood. My mother didn't know how to cook. In fact, I never went in the kitchen. I wasn't allowed in the kitchen. It would bother the cook. So the idea of a mother who actually made mincemeat and a father who raised a pet hog and they went to a state fair in the back of a pickup truck, I'd never been on a farm. To me, this was as much of a fantasy as The Wizard of Oz. And I loved it for that reason. It hit me at the right time in my life. And, of course, I loved the music. Only movie musical that Rodgers and Hammerstein ever wrote for the movies. Oh, I did not know that. And its uh, I remember it, it might as well be spring, I think, is the number that I remember uh, from State yes. Fair with all of them sitting <laughs> sitting around and singing that. Well, Gene uh, Crane it's a beautiful... sang it. And what was so funny about it is that Rodgers and Hammerstein had written this wonderful song, It Might As Well Be Spring, about a state fair. But... Betty Joe, as everybody knows who lives in a farm state, state fairs are not held in the spring. They're held in the fall or in the late summer. Right. So they took a little poetic license with that. I think they did. Well, well, I liked what I definitely liked what they did. Well, I I was so happy that you put in your book you had 13 musicals, and as I mentioned before, musicals, I'm, I'm just a, a sucker for them. And uh, I'm uh, just going to let the, the listeners know that uh, they're, they're, your reviews for An American in Paris, The Artist, Chicago, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Les Miserables, um, Mao's Last Dance, Meet Me in St. Louis, The Red Shoes, Royal Wedding, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and Singing in the Rain, Yay, and State Fair, and The Wizard of Oz are are all on your list of 150 timeless movies. And uh, well, thank you. Uh, also, go ahead. I was just going to say, in Royal Wedding, I explain how Fred Astaire danced on the ceiling. Yes, you do. I'm, this is what, what I love about your reviews. We get all of this extra information. How, uh, how did they do that? Are you willing to tell us? Sure. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not a state secret. I, he was in a rotating gimbal is what they call it, G-Y-M-B-A-L. And they just rotated it so it looked like the, the room was built that way. And then they rotated it, and it looked as though he was dancing on the ceiling. I see. Yeah, well, it was. It looked so real. It definitely well, back then, looked... they didn't have all of these fancy, fancy special effects the way they do now. You know, there was no James Cameron and Avatar and everything else. But it was really fascinating. <laughs> I mean, the room was cube-shaped. And it was put, when I say a gimbal, I mean a steel cage. The room was built in this steel cage, which revolved 360 degrees. So as right. the set stated, he moved along with the camera equipment and the operator, who was strapped to the floor. And interestingly oh enough, this same technique was used to simulate uh, zero gravity 
in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Hmm. Interesting. That that really, that really is. In the movie industry, which I loved. I loved seeing behind, growing up, watching how movies were made. It didn't take away any of the, of the magic. It just enhanced it. Well, you certainly had uh, had the opportunity to see see these things because you were you were on the sets and you were in the in the movies. I'm I'm just so so jealous of you having that experience. Uh, it was a wonderful yeah, experience. Fact, you know, many many people who grew up in the movies have horror stories to tell, but I don't. Uh, my dad was a director. I started when I was three years old, and I just had a wonderful time. I went to the set with my father. And my father, as a director, would say, let's pretend, and then he'd outline the scene. And it was just a game to me. <laughs> so how, how old were you when you, were, when you first uh, uh, had, uh, were assigned to a movie to act in? Three. I was three years old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I have a picture, actually. It's on Facebook, but I have a picture on Wallace Beery's knee. And oh. read me the lines, and I'd rehearse them because I couldn't read yet. Oh, and then you had to memorize memorize the the lines. And what was what is the thing that the the thing that you most remember about acting in those movies? How much fun it was! Oh, I loved being with was. my daddy. I mean, just picture I mean, a little girl loves to be with her daddy. And it was a game I would play with my father. Oh, that 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 well, just my, my seems memories like are such... all very very happy about being in the movies, which is why I couldn't write a, a tell-all bestseller because I didn't have any horrible scandals to talk about. <laughs> well, we like to hear <laughs> we like to hear about happy happy things. So yeah, I think you should do it. I think you should write. You should write uh, the the happy the happy kid making movies book. <laughs> I think that would be that would be great. I I I would have I would have loved an experience like that. In fact, my mother actually when they were they were searching for somebody to play um, in, in National Velvet, she even sent uh, to MGM a picture of me on a horse. But nothing became of that. <laughs> Guess who got that role? Right? Would you like to know a story about National Velvet? National Velvet, yes, of course. Okay. The horse in National Velvet belonged to my father. My father had a wonderful horse named King Charles, this huge jumper, um, this red jumper that I learned to ride on. And I always thought he was my horse, as a little child will. And then one day the horse disappeared. And Louis B. Mayer bought King Charles from my my father, Sylvan Simon, to use in the film National Velvet. And then, of course, Louis B. Mayer gave the horse to Elizabeth Taylor, who starred in it. So as I was a kid, I cried. I said, Elizabeth Taylor took my horse. And then I realized I was very lucky that was all she took. <laughs> Every, everything everything is is. Is re- related. There's a story about uh, about everything from <laughs> Susan. <laughs> you see, dear listeners, why I've been pestering uh, Susan Granger 
to come on the show again because every time we learn more inside information about the about the movies and uh, 150 timeless movies is a must see book for for anybody who's who's a movie fan. I enjoyed it so much that I had to write a poem about it. Now, my listeners know, Susan, that when I like something and I write a poem about it, I have to read the poem to them. So real quickly, here it is. Timeless films are ever new. I'll start again. Timeless films are ever new. This book points out more than a few 150 movie treats that sure deserve viewing repeats or first-time looks, if that's the case. Action, drama, and films of grace live between these buoyant pages. Love and peace and war that rages. With Susan Granger as our guide, we're guaranteed a wondrous ride. Her book is fabulous to read. She knows her movie stuff indeed. For movie fans, this book's a must, but others won't think it's a bust. As reference, it can't be beat. Granger's tome is quite a feat. And I mean every word of that, uh, Susan. And I'm encouraging my uh, listeners definitely to buy your book. Tell them where they can buy it and what forms it comes in. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Betty Jo. You sent me that poem, and I I printed it out. I have it right on right above my desk. I'm extremely oh. flattered and pleased that you took the time and did that. Now, my book you can buy on Amazon. Just go to Amazon.com. It comes in hardcover, softcover. I really recommend the softcover, frankly. Um, and you can also download it to a Kindle. Yes, and what, uh, am I right that there may be an audio book coming in the future? I don't know. We haven't, I haven't discussed that with my publisher yet. There may be, but we haven't done that yet. Well, I would love to hear that because... I, I think hearing you read some of the reviews would be um, would be very very uh, interesting, and and people so, would would love would love that. Betty, so I would love to do that. I but the problem is, and I, I think many authors face this. Uh, my publisher Jan Yeager told me that if an audio book is done, they do the recording, not me. Oh. So I, well, if that's done, I want a man to do it so that nobody feels that it's my voice on another woman's voice. So I just don't know. They haven't made any arrangements for that yet. Well, keep me posted posted on that. And then I do want the listeners to know uh, some of the um, movies that are included in your book. 2001, A Space Odyssey, African Queen, Avatar, The Bucket List, City Lights, that's a Charlie Chaplin film, Saving Private Ryan, the Lives of Others, The Social Network, Slumdog Millionaire, and uh, The Wizard of Oz, which we mentioned before, and then others of uh, my favorites, Brooklyn, Quartet, The Bucket List, Wall-E, War Horse, Casablanca, Adventures of Robin Hood, Amelie, and Zootopia. I was glad that you had Zootopia in, on your list, and you, you must have been happy when Zootopia won the uh, best nominated, uh, best animated movie. Am I right? Absolutely. That's the only 2016 book I have in it, because of course I hadn't seen a lot of the movies. The movies that were released in the last quarter, I didn't have a chance to see before the deadline. So the only one that is in it is um, Zootopia. 
But, you know, one of the things that I found that, that I'd like to point out is there are a lot of movies here you, that many of your listeners have never heard of. Yeah. For example, uh, of a movie from Iran called The Salesman Just Won the Oscar. But before that, the same filmmaker made a film called The Separation or A Separation. That is in the book. It's an Iranian film, and it's wonderful. Um, if you're an Anthony Hopkins fan... There's a movie I'll bet you've never seen of his called The World's Fastest Indian. I mean, I, I, what I tried to do is find movies that I loved that might not have been seen by everybody. Sullivan's Travels back in 1941. Yes. I mean, these are movies, uh, The Secret of Roan Inish. These yes. are movies that a lot of people might not recognize at first. So I, I'd like them to be able to see them because now you can download them or get them from whatever supplier you use. Yes, I, I think that that's a, that's a very good uh, observation to make because uh, I have eight of them that I I haven't seen on the list here, and some of the, and some of these eight I hadn't even heard of. I was glad you mentioned the salesman because I thought that was a wonderful movie, and I uh, gave it a very uh, uh, well a rave review. Uh, and I was very happy that it did win. I saw that you raved about it, and this was his earlier film called A Separation, which also won a Best Foreign Film Award. So this is his second. Yes, and that was a very good movie, too. My gosh. (laughs) You know, if they're David Bowie fans, if you haven't seen The Man Who Fell to Earth, you've missed a great movie. Exactly that that one, but Susan. I cannot believe this. This time has just gone by so fast. But I, I, I have to say that that our time is almost up. And I want to thank you so much for being a great guest again today. I hope, I hope that we can have you back uh, again soon. I know you're very very busy, but I'll keep pestering you. Is that okay? Absolutely, and I would love to come back again. We have a lot to talk about, Betty Lou. We we sure do, and I wanted to thank also the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support, as well as all our listeners, and special thanks to Nikki Starr, our producer, for her help, and to Nancy Lombardo, George Bettinger, Angela Drake Perry, and the Wacko Network hosts for their enthusiastic support for our show on their own radio shows. Nancy is the host of Comedy right here on Blog Talk Radio every Monday and Friday morning at 10.30 Eastern Time. She's just hilarious. George hosts the very entertaining Pop Shop show on TuneIn Radio from East, uh, from Miramar, Florida, but aired worldwide every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Plus, the Wacko Network offers something for everyone in its diverse programs, now airing every day on Mixler, that's M-I-X-L-R, and Angela is a popular new host on Fallen Angel Radio. I'm happy to report that Angela is hosting a unique book giveaway event involving my books, so be sure to check that out at Fallen Angel Radio. Time to wrap things up now, but please come back next time for our Betty Davis tribute with special guest film historian James Gold Harrison and classic movie guide founder Diana Sanger. It should be another fun and enlightening show for movie fans. In the meantime, don't forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. To close the show, let's go out with my favorite rendition of, you guessed it, and this is especially 
for our guest, Susan Granger. Hooray for Hollywood. Thank you.
If you own a small business, it's not a question of if some hacker is going to attempt to attack your company. It's a question of when. Let CyberPolicy.com keep you safe. CyberPolicy is the first end-to-end solution that combines cyber planning, security, and insurance. With CyberPolicy, your business will be protected against cyber attacks for as little as 40 cents a day. Visit CyberPolicy.com today and get a quote in just four minutes. CyberPolicy.com.